You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Thank you. Well, we are starting this morning a a two-week series. Um, We're calling it uh, The Essence of Worship or Worship Treasuring God Above All Things. I'm going to be speaking this morning... Uh, along with the help and aid and assistance of our worship pastor, uh, Brother Jordan Elkins. And I want to tell you just a little bit about how Jordan and I work throughout the week. Every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, except for tomorrow morning because he's going on his honeymoon, and I I asked Mackenzie if she would wait until like 10 o'clock, but she said, no, we're leaving after services. So... Um, But every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, Jordan is in my office first appointment I have of the week. Now, that shows you, uh, hopefully, the importance of it. Uh, Nine o'clock Monday morning, we're sitting at my desk, and we are discussing next Sunday's sermon. Yes, your pastor is a week ahead, and uh, or two weeks ahead. I try to stay at least a week ahead. I don't want to ever be uh, Saturday night specialing it for you, meaning finishing a message Saturday night that's going to be preached Sunday. So we're way ahead of the game, and and we're talking about that sermon. Usually it's a 40-minute sermon that I'll preach to him in five minutes. And then as we go through the outline, Jordan is taking notes, and we're just having a great time. It's kind of become the beginning, I think, of something that will turn into into greater things as we work together carving out the worship service that is not just about segmenting it out. For instance, today we've had several segments already. We've had... A baptism. We've had announcements. We've had music. We've now had a Lottie Moon offering presentation. We're having a message. I mean, if you look at it that way, then it, it's it's fragmented. But we look at the worship service beginning when you walk into the building. We really do. We take it that serious. As Jordan and I begin to work through the outline, and he begins to pray about the songs, and sometimes even before he leaves my office, he's mentioning a couple of potential songs we could sing that would match the message. He's also sharing with me things that might help me. Uh, and, and it's just a great, great time together. Well, while doing this a few weeks ago, months ago, Jordan and I had already been talking about some things that he had been praying and presenting to me about thoughts about our worship service and some of the different elements of it. And uh, I was excited to hear that he was taking ownership and really being led by the Spirit uh, to, to, to mention these things. And then I said, well, maybe uh, maybe we should work up a, a mini-series together before the end of the year. I, I've always been one who loves to prepare the people for, you know, whether it's major change, which is we've never done major change that hasn't taken a long time, or minor change where you're just letting folks know about things. You're informing people. You're sharing. There might be a few little dynamics, especially after the first of the year, that we begin to, to add to our service or take away from our service to make it a more worshipful, powerful experience in our corporate setting. And so in that meeting, we decided to tag team a sermon. And so we began to work together carving out the sermon where he is going to represent uh, a, a side of this message. I'll represent another side of this message. Our text for this morning is John four twenty four. We're going to look at several verses, but our text is that God is a spirit And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what happens is, is oftentimes when you come to spirit and truth, you find that you've got a generation like mine that is more truth worship. We we grew up in in, in that element. And you've got a new generation that understands a little bit more about spirit worship. And you'll understand that in more more as, as as we move through the message. 
I've asked Jordan to represent uh, the side that, that you might be surprised. He, he's going to talk more about the truth worship. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the spirit worship. But both are elements that must be very, very important and active if our church is truly going to worship according to scriptural principles. So we're excited about it. Are you ready? Let me say this. God energizes spirit. You know, we look at, uh, or rather worship. God energizes worship. We, we look at uh, things that energize our services. And sometimes we give them way too much credit because in all actuality, this is not about a performance, whether it's my preaching or the music or an announcement or a video. We believe that all of that is vain unless the Spirit of God comes and meets with us. And we'll, we'll talk about these things a little bit more because those are statements we've heard, cliche statements. Yet those statements carry some weight but not total weight. There's so much more when we understand God coming and God being here. It's an exciting thought. So with that said, I, I can't explain it to you exactly. We don't have all the answers in this message, but I do know this. That when the God of the universe is rightly worshipped, powerful things can happen. I do know that. I'm sure of that. And I'm beginning to experience that. In John chapter 4, we find the most extensive teaching from Jesus on the subject of worship. Anytime Jesus is the one teaching it, I do get very excited. Because I, I, I I want to learn from the master teacher, Jesus Christ. So what is the definition of worship? Well, let me give you a... A longer definition than a shorter definition. A longer definition would be this on the screen. It says, worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, center their minds, their attention. Notice the focus here. And their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response. Key word there. You're going to hear that in just a moment. In response to his greatness, how great thou art, great are you, Lord. Be exalted over all, we sang this morning. In his greatness and his word. And so a shorter definition and just a, just a quick definition would be our response to his greatness. Our response to his greatness. So let's begin this morning discussing the pattern of worship. Because there are some things that we need to understand when it comes to what is the pattern of worship. I want to give you in this four different ways that we can discover the essence of worship. The first beginning with the pattern. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment as you're sitting in the audience in the congregation. I want you to think with me about some things that we worship instead of God. If I were to ask you this morning, name me something that even you, even me at times throughout the week, if we're not careful, can, we can worship this more than God. I think the number one answer, as I've asked people, is money. It seems like it's a quick answer. It seems like it's a sure answer, and it is. Oftentimes, we find that we can worship God, uh, money instead of God. Another thing would be our careers or our work. I've seen many times that we get, can, can, can get caught up, even me, even in the ministry, I can get caught up in things. You can get caught up to where we can put God aside, maybe skip a service, devotions. It can happen during the week. It can happen for a day where God is not rightly worshipped as a result of something in our hearts rising up higher than our worship of Him. Also, we can, material things can, can be worshipped instead of God. Family, and we've talked about that recently, even in the last couple of weeks. Family at times can be worshipped instead of God. Or sports and Hollywood figures. 
Our younger generation would at times maybe struggle, and, and not just younger. I've seen even our generation, older generations, struggle. What you have this morning is a picture of a generation. Jordan is 23. I'm, I'm 53. A 30-year gap. And oftentimes when there's a, a gap, there can be different ways of understanding worship. Sometimes we can get singular focus because we grew up in this era when it was like this. And here's the new generation growing up in this era. We have not only 23 and 33, uh, rather uh, 23 and 53, we have 83-year-olds in our church and above. 30 years, we have a newborn baby in the nursery this week. Juliet's here. So you've got sometimes a newborn or, 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 or a young man like Jordan. And in churches, oftentimes we see a younger generation of worship leaders. And I'm grateful for that. Nevertheless, we worship some things instead of God. But when we come together on Sunday mornings to worship, here's what we're doing. Regardless of what we've been through this week or what at times has gotten ahead of God, you know what we're able to do here? We're able to sweep off the tables of our hearts and our minds of all those things that crowd out God and put him back in his rightful place. Right back where he belongs. And that's the goal of this worship service is that we would worship God in spirit and in truth. So we look at our text. We find John 4 and beginning in verse 16 where Jesus is having a conversation with a woman whom he had met here at this well. And uh, she offered him a drink and... And, uh, and, and, and he offered her living water. And then this conversation begins to take place. And he says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right. I have no husband. You're right. I, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, is true. Man, it would stink to have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus. You, you, you just have to just spill it, wouldn't you? You know, Jesus knows everything about you and knows everything about me. Sometimes I think we come to him and we try to change the subject like she did. And we try to cover up our, our weaknesses and for fear that he might not love us as much or that he might not care for us as much or that his favor would not be on us as much. And, and so we, we tend to, to try to hide the, the reality of our failures. And let me tell you something, church. God loves us this morning. God loves you this morning. And you're in a place where we're worshiping God and all of us this morning can come to this place and exalt the name of Jesus knowing he loves us. In spite of some of the mistakes maybe we've even made this week. So the woman tries to change the subject. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She presented a theological presentation here uh, speaking about the fact that they had trusted in the first five books of the Bible and worshiped at Mount Gerizim. But now they're worshiping in Jerusalem in the temple. And so she's arguing that where they ought to worship. And so Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. I want to stop here and say this and send your notes. Worship requires understanding. Worship requires understanding. And that's really what the purpose of the next couple of weeks is. Is that we would have your attention this morning to understand what worship is. Because it requires, you worship what you do not know. So many that just don't know how to worship or don't know what worship is. Oftentimes it's because they, they don't know the Lord. He says, for salvation is of the Jews. You know, this morning, if you've never understood salvation. If you've never come to a place of repentance before God. 
putting your faith in him and him alone so that you could begin to learn how to worship the creator of the universe. This morning, it would be a wonderful thing to see God draw you to himself and you become a Christian. Salvation is available this morning. He goes on to say, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So worship requires understanding, but let's finish it. Understanding leads to a relationship. When we begin to understand who God is, then we can have a relationship with him. And that relationship becomes the most important thing in all of our lives. He is able to sit in his rightful place as king of our hearts. Jordan, you come and share for just a moment. I love this statement. Worship requires understanding and understanding leads to a relationship. This is a beautiful picture of the pattern of worship that we see throughout scripture. So the pattern of worship is God speaks and we respond. So God speaks and we understand who he is. We understand the truth of who he is. And we respond with worship, with that relationship, with communing with him. So this pattern of worship, God speaks and we respond to his truth. It's all throughout scripture. It's all throughout the ages. God is the ultimate initiator. God always initiates the conversation of worship. He is always the one who speaks first. In creation... God spoke. God said, let there be light. He, he created everything by the word of his mouth, and creation responds in praise. We know that the heavens declare the glory of God. The stars are proclaiming his handiwork. Even the rocks cry out and worship. We were created in his image. And our lives, the way we live, is a response to his creation. In the Old Testament, God spoke to Moses in Exodus through a burning bush, and he revealed himself to Moses. And Moses saw who God was, and God called Moses out of that burning bush, and Moses responded with obedience. And Moses became the worship leader for Israel, leading them out of captivity. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah read scripture to the people of the Lord. And when the people of the Lord heard God's word, when they heard the scriptures, they responded with rejoicing. In Job, God revealed himself to Job in one of the most mighty ways that we see in scripture. And Job responds in chapter 42 with repentance in dust and ashes, a beautiful picture of worship. God appears to Isaiah in a vision, and Isaiah responds in humility, woe is me. And he responds in surrender, here I am, Lord, send me. In the New Testament, Jesus called his disciples. He says in John 15, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Jesus chose his disciples and he called his disciples. And after they saw who he was, after Jesus spoke, they responded with a life of worship, following after Jesus. And in John, we see this beautiful picture of worship with this woman who comes before Jesus with this oil and she anoints his head with oil. It's a beautiful scene of worship. But we understand the reason she did that is because Jesus had forgiven her of her sins. She responded to truth about God in worship. Even in our salvation, God is the initiator. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Jesus says in John six forty four, no man comes unto me unless the Father draws him. So even our salvation God is the initiator. But, so what about these scriptures like Psalm 95? What about the scripture we read this morning? Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Wouldn't that be that we initiate that? No, even when we come before his presence with singing, with thanksgiving, it's a response to his call. It's a response to his drawing us and his initiation. Even 
even verses like that. So this is the pattern of worship. God speaks and we respond. So what does that look like for us at Gospel Light? What does that look like weekly for us on our Sunday morning gatherings? So in the first segment of our worship, in our gathering, when we all come together, this morning we read a call to worship, which is just we all read scripture together, encouraging, commanding us to lift our voice and to praise together. So we heard from God. We started off the service hearing God speak, and we responded in singing and giving and praying. We responded in worship. In the second segment, the word, which is where we hear from God's word, the sermon right now, what's going on, we are hearing from God's word. We are hearing truth about God, and afterwards we're going to respond with singing, maybe even praying, even committing our lives to him. And finally, in the sending, when we scatter, when we leave to go to the world, we're going to leave today with a benediction, which is just a a verse from scripture just encouraging us that God is with us and charging us to go into the world. And we're going to respond to God's word at the end of the service with service, with going into the world and serving others, taking the gospel to the world. So this is the pattern of worship. God speaks and we respond. Awesome. As we continue, I want you to think about verse number 23, where it speaks about the hour coming when the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. I want you to notice the priority of worship. There's a priority here, a pattern, but a priority. Here, we have this question, if there are true worshipers, then obviously there are false worshipers. So the question comes this morning to us, are you a true worshiper or are you potentially a false worshiper? Now, wait a minute, don't don't, don't feel as if just because you're saved that at times we, we can offer false worship. I'll explain that in just a moment. But let's look at three different methods of false worship. Let's begin with this ignorant worship. The woman at the well, Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. You just don't understand. And as a result of not understanding, you're just, you're ignorant in your worship. You just don't know how to worship or who to worship. And so there is that, that and that can happen in a, in a service like ours. That can happen in conversations that we have where we're trying to understand worship. And, the fa- and there's a false worship that we're going to call ignorant worship. But there's one that I think exists even more prevalent in our churches today, and that's hypocritical worship. Someone who gets a, an A performance for their music or, their, or the band performance. Or we sort of, as Jordan mentioned, or Will mentioned, we compliment people for their performance. And even for the sermon... But yet our hearts are far from God. You know, the prodigal son's a good example of that. Because, you know, he, he was lost. He, he, he ran from his father. He lived in this house, but truly was rebellious and left and ran away and sold his wild oats and lived a life away from God. And there came a time where he came back and humbly repented. But what about the older brother? I feel as if our churches could possibly have many of those, if not at times, all of us have been that older brother who in reality, we would get an A for performance. We come to church. We do these things. We worship in spirit. We worship in truth, one or the other or both. But at the end of the day, our hearts are far from God. And then there's apathetic worship. Just, and I've actually had people say, you know, I I, I just, I just come in for the preaching. Or 
you know, we just sort of, it's whatever. I mean, I'm here. It's all good. Yeah, I was good. Not a big deal, but kind of like the kid that was standing outside in the church foyer and the pastor kind of walked up to him and he was bewildered as he looked at this plaque with names on it, this bronze plaque, you know, 1918, died in the service, 1942, died in the service. The pastor walked up to him and said, son, you, you look confused. He said, well, I'm just I'm trying to figure that 1918, died in the service. He goes, yeah, yeah, son, he died in the service. He said, the 9 o'clock or the 1045? Which service? Honestly, I, there's a lot of truth to that. Now, it may never be said of gospel light. We're just dead. There's no life. Just, you know, and I think sometimes we're just apathetic in our worship. And yet Jesus says he's looking for true worshipers. Again, he's initiating it. He's looking for those that would worship him, for people who will worship God. So we see the priority of worship here. Then let's move to the power of worship. In our text verse, where we'll stay for the majority of this message, in verse 24, that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit. If it's authentic worship, it will be worship in spirit and in truth. Because God is a spirit, we must worship him, first of all, with our spirit. I don't claim to have everything figured out, but I do know that when we were born, our soul was born dead to God. My little grandbaby, my newest one, was in the service this morning, and I'm glad we're starting her off in church early, on the front row. When she was born, even little Juliet was born, her soul was born dead to God. Scripture says that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins. And how do we become alive? Well, through repentance And faith, we are made alive by the Spirit of God. And when we become alive to God, we can communicate to Him with our spirits. We must worship Him in spirit. God is a spirit, so we must be spirit worshipers. That's what our text teaches. Now, on on my side, Jordan will come in a moment and speak on another side of this. But I'm going to speak on the spirit side of things. I grew up in, in a church that would have been, the majority of it would have been truth worship. The majority of it. That's, that's why oftentimes we enjoy our hymns because they are, if it's a good hymn, and, and, and I, I think a lot of hymns are silly and even unscriptural and truly they're about, if you take time to focus and read them, which is what worship is, you can't just throw a song out there. You've got to look at the words. And oftentimes hymns are me, I focused and worship is God focused. And so there's a lot of hymns we would never sing again in a corporate setting because they're not true worship, but there are many great, strong, doctrinally filled, truth-filled songs. And I grew up only singing those. Any new song from any other generation would not have been allowed except for with certain permission, certain songs, and very, very few, if any. That's kind of where I, how I grew up. I found out that I knew a lot about God. God wants us to know if we care about what we know about him. But so often we find that it's not just what we know about God, but it's do we really know God? And so as a result of that, for the first time that I ever experienced in a, in a powerful way, spirit-filled worship, and I'm not talking about somebody running around the church building with their Bible up in the air. There's even a video out of a guy jumping in the baptistry during the service. I, I don't think he was 
hearing from God personally. I'm not talking about drawing attention to yourself. But in the spirit-filled service, I, I wanted to go incognito because I was afraid if I, if I went to a church that wasn't a Baptist church or an independent Baptist church, a church that didn't preach the King James Bible only, a church that had a worship band, that I would be excommunicated. So I went without anybody knowing except for my wife. I bought a plane ticket and I flew to New York City, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and attended Mr. Symbolist Church, the one he pastored. And, and I must say, in my, in, my, in my testimony, in my testimony, it was the first time I'd ever experienced in a, in a, in a very unusual way, what I would call, again, God is a spirit, which has been spirit, so I'm going to say spirit-filled worship. And for the first time, I raised my hand in church. I'd never done that before. And there's much more to this testimony. You've heard me give it in detail before. But I saw, I heard people singing with their spirits to God. And I knew something was different. Because there seems to be a lot of singing about God, but not much singing to God. And there's power in spirit and truth worship. I want Jordan to come and talk to us about truth-filled worship. So I agree when Pastor Capace said that, when he said, I think a lot of people don't know how to worship in spirit. I agreed. I think a lot of people don't know how to worship in spirit. But I think even an equal amount of people also don't know how to worship in truth. So when Scripture talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, there are two different aspects to our worship. So the spirit is the part of us that communicates with God. The Spirit is the part of us that God has quickened, God has made alive, and we have fellowship with Him through our spirit. Um, And through that, we are able to experience God. We are able to understand His emotions. Since God is a spiritual being, He experiences emotions. God God understands anger. God feels anger. God has wrath. God feels love. Jesus had compassion on people during His earthly ministry. The Holy Spirit is able to be grieved. God shows mercy on people. In the presence of Jesus is the fullness of joy. Jesus is the prince of peace. So through our spirit, through, through that relation with God, through our spirit, we're able to feel his emotions. And we're able, not just that, but also able to express those emotions back to him. And that's why we believe at Gospel Light, we believe the worship band is just the best way, the most efficient way for us to do that, to express our emotions. We believe that the worship band is just the best tool that we have. Not that other, other tools aren't, aren't as good, not that other expressions aren't good, but we just feel this is most efficient, efficient and the best way for us to express our emotion to God. But there's also another aspect of worship, which is truth. And truth requires our mind. Truth is an intellectual worship. It's thinking and dwelling and meditating on the scripture with our mind. So when we come to the service only hoping to feel something, when we leave the service saying, man, that felt good. I felt God. You know, the, the, the worship was just off, off the chain. It was, it was so good. And we didn't think at all about who he is. We didn't think one time about the gospel. Then we're not really worshiping. That's just half worship. True worship requires spirit and truth. So what is an area that, that we struggle to worship in truth in our church? Well, th- th- this is one area. This is one way. Um, especially, and this especially goes for like the younger people, but I've heard people of all ages say this. I've said this before. I've been there. God's still working on me. But when we sing a hymn, a lot of times 
especially younger people, kind of like turn a deaf ear to it. And they say, you know, I just, I don't understand it. This is the 21st century. We've got artists who write relevant music. You know, the, the hymns just aren't relevant. I, I don't really understand it. I get it. It's, you know, it's for the old people. Please excuse my language. But it's for the old people. You know, I, I, I'll sit this one out. This morning, we're going to sing How Great Thou Art. You know, I'll sit this one out, let the old people have their time, and I'll jump back in on how great, on, on great are you, Lord, and I'm just going to, that's when I'll, that's my jam. I'm going to worship at that song. That's just the wrong attitude to have, because hymns aren't just for the old people. Hymns are for all people. Hymns are for you, young people and old people. See, the hymns are a tool that connect all generations and bring all generations together. Hymns remind us of the truth of the gospel, that while, while style has changed, while music has changed, while preference has changed, the word of God has never changed. And the gospel has never changed and it will never change. That's why we use both modern worship songs and we use hymns to bring everyone together so that everyone can lift one voice. Because that's the purpose, the ultimate goal of our worship on Sunday morning is that everyone, regardless of race, regardless of social status, regardless of age, that we would all come together as the church, as the body of Christ and lift up one voice to the Father in worship. So if you're annoyed with singing hymns, you know, if you're annoyed when, when we sing the songs that just don't, they just don't get you in that feeling, think about the lyrics. Think about the truth in those songs. Think about the truth of Scripture. And odds are you're probably only half worshiping. You're probably just worshiping with your spirit. When true worship requires that we worship with spirit and truth, our mind and our heart, our intellect and our emotions, that's true worship. So if we can get that down, spirit and truth, what would that look like and how do they work together? Because that's the goal. If we're going to understand worship, remember, you worship what you do not know. If we're going to understand how to worship, which is what this is all about, I love to, to, to let God's word educate us and, and give us the knowledge we need to, to truly grow as a Christian. So in order to do that, what does it look like? What happens when spirit and truth come together? Number one, worship, spirit and truth worship brings God himself. Now, I want you to see a, a verse on the, on, the, on the screen here, because in just a moment, we're going we're to balance these thoughts out as we're doing through the entire message. That's the goal. But, but I want you to see here that Scripture says that, that God is holy. You are holy, God, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned is a word that oftentimes will come up in our worship services. We talk about being in the throne room with God or God, you know, coming down and, and meeting with us. And, and though, though there, we understand God is here... There is still something very powerful about the manifest presence of God. Meaning this, that God wants to sit down on his throne, on the table of your heart. He wants to get comfortable with what we're offering him. He wants us to bless him. God enjoys being blessed. You know, oftentimes we get used to saying, God bless you. But God says, no, I want you to bless me. I like being blessed. In fact, if you don't mind, I'd just like to sit down on my throne and listen to you guys. I love it. God enjoys being enthroned. God loves sitting in his rightful place. When worship is in spirit and in truth, God comes in a unique, special, powerful way. Worship also brings salvation. You know, when God is rightly worshipped, 
lives can be transformed by the cross of Jesus Christ. How often do we hear uh, testimonies of people, even this morning, who follow Christ in baptism, and, and, and at some point they were involved in a corporate setting where they experienced worship through the hearts of people who were worshiping in spirit and in truth. They came together and it brought people to Christ. You know, I believe that our worship services are not just for believers. Can I get an amen? I think our worship services are for unbelievers as well. So what happens when an unbelieving person comes to church? Well, let's go to the Bible and find out. Because scripture tells us of such an event. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, chapter 14, verse 23, just one verse at a time. I'll tell you when to go to the next one. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues. Here is a language, a prayer language. And some churches would, uh, would have this as a part of their ministering and teaching. Some people maybe in this church have experienced some of that. But in the corporate setting, we at Gospelite are not participating in that way. But this is a church that everybody is speaking the whole congregation in tongues. And so an outsider comes in. An unbeliever comes in. And scripture says, would they not say in that situation, you're out of your minds. This is crazy. But, next verse. But if everybody prophesies, different. Prophesy meaning if everybody is exalting God and, and talking about God and worshiping God. And, and if everybody is, is sharing the gospel. In other words, in our music, in our preaching, in our response to the greatness of God. At times with a nod or an amen or a, a, word of, a, a kind word. Sharing your Bible with someone in the auditorium. Because our worship service doesn't begin when the service starts. It begins when somebody drives onto the property and somebody in the parking lot is greeting them and smiling and sharing the love of God. Amen. And they experience that from the time they get on the property to the time they leave. From the beginning to the end. It is everybody just prophesying about the greatness of God. And then an unbeliever or an outsider enters in. Well, he is convicted. He's convicted by all of this. And he's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. How special is it, gospelite, when someone would say about attending our church, you know, there's one thing about Gospelite, I just, every time I go there, I just, man, God's there. God's there. God's in the midst of that place. It's different. It's special. Something about going there. And, man, I just feel like God is there. What a compliment. The manifest presence of God in response to worship in the worship community, in the gathering of believers. It brings salvation. Worship brings victory. You know, I already know that maybe some of you are here this morning and you've had a tough week. Maybe you've had a week of defeat, a week of discouragement. There's been some things that have happened that have kind of, just to be honest, when you walked into this building, you weren't feeling it. I'm just going to say that again. We're talking about spirit-filled, truth-filled worship here, but just for a moment, you just weren't feeling it. You were down. You were discouraged. You were defeated. But by the end of the service, like in so many other cases, we find, man, because we worshiped and because God was sitting in his rightful place, we were encouraged and and reminded of the victory that we have in Christ. You know, I found an interesting, special. I love this verse. I've quoted it for years in Second Chronicles. It speaks of the children of Israel winning a battle without spear, without sword, without ammunition. When they began to sing 
and praise. Here's an army going to battle, singing and praising. And the Lord sets an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah. But they were all routed. They were, they were destroyed. And the victory was given to the children of Israel, not because of instruments or ammunition, but because they sang and they praised God. Praise, worship brings victory. And then worship brings healing. Not just physical healing, but emotional healing. And there's so many different kinds of ways that we can be touched and healed by God. I love Jeremiah 17, 14. It speaks of, heal me, O Lord, I shall be healed. Save me, I shall be saved, for you are my praise. And I love the book of Malachi, chapter 4, and verse 2, where it says, but for you who fear my name, who are in awe of my name, who reverentially worship my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Yes, we believe in healing and we believe in calling the elders of the church and anointing with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And we've seen God heal. In fact, on two different occasions, even in Mark Brown's life, three different occasions, we saw prayer and the touch and the anointing of the oil put his cancer in remission. And now he's been healed, completely healed. God is the God of healing. But I have a feeling Mark came to church even when he was struggling because he knew. There's victory in worship. There's healing in worship. I want Jordan to come and say a few more words about this. Awesome. Praise God for the truth of when we worship that God, that brings God himself, that lives, salvation comes, lives are changed, it brings victory, and it brings healing. But something we need to remember when thinking about this is that we need to remember that God's presence is always here, especially for us as the church, as believers We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The very presence of God is in every breath that we take because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So when we talk about being in the presence of God, we're not saying that he's not not here when when we're not feeling it. No, we're saying that when we're being in the presence of God is we understand and we come to that mentality and that attitude of worship when we understand that God is with us. So there are a couple phrases that I've heard that I just want to caution you on. I'm not saying that if you come and say these phrases to me after the service that I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to accuse you of heresy and demand that you be excommunicated from the church. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying just make sure that your heart is right as as you think about these phrases and as you say these phrases. These are phrases that I've said even myself, and God is showing me um, his scripture um, and how to think and, and the mentality to have when thinking about these phrases. But one phrase is... The worship leader or the worship band brought us before the throne room of God. Another is like, man, thank you, worship leader. Thank you for ushering us into the presence of God. And I just want to caution you, be careful when you say that, that you're not giving divine ability to a human. Just be careful that when you say that, that you don't really believe that if I weren't, if I weren't here, if the band weren't here, we couldn't have entered into the presence of God. Just be careful of that. Because we can have, if we're not careful, we can make that idea, we can give ourselves the idea that we can approach God on our own standing, out of our own merit, out of our own earning. And it it can make worship a performance. The idea that we've got to perform, we've got to make everything right, sing all the right notes, everything's got to be perfect in order for God to show up. And that's just not the case. That encourages a works-based salvation, which we're, we're not for, which Scripture is against. So... Man cannot usher himself into the presence of God. So what brings us into his presence? Hebrews 10, 
19 and 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So what brings us into the presence of God? What allows us to draw near and enter that throne room of God? It's not me. It's not the band. It's not our performance. It's the blood of Jesus. Which that's so comforting that Jesus, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that brings us before God. So we don't need a human to lead us. We don't need a a physical priest to mediate for us. And we can't earn that right to stand before him on our own. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to even come before the presence of God. Awesome. Now we're going to move to the final segment of the message. I'll share and Jordan will share and then we'll be done. Let's talk about the practice of worship. As we understand worship, there is a practice. There's some things that scripture teaches us that will help us to understand how we can worship in spirit and in truth. So what is the greatest commandment? Luke chapter 10 and verse 27 is the greatest commandment. And before we quote that, I, I want to do this. I, I want to identify something about music. It has four parts to it. I'm not a real big music guy, but I know music has four parts. We talk about this four-part harmony, right? You know, bass, alto, tenor, and soprano, right? So this is crazy, but I was reading this passage, and it was as if God said, this is the four-part harmony of worship. And, and, and in my study, it just jumped off the page and I thought maybe there's something to understanding these four components in worship that worship too has a four-part harmony that when we are worshiping in spirit and in truth with these four elements man it just sounds good it's powerful and he answered you love the Lord your God you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart that's the first component your soul your strength your mind these are the four-part harmonies of worship so I want to talk to you about those four parts. First of all, worshiping God with your mind. And this is your intellect. Thinking great thoughts about God. Thinking truth about God. This is the, the truth side of it. When we worship God with our minds, we are thinking great thoughts. We are doing this morning exactly what we did. We sang songs about God to God about His greatness. We ascribe to Him worth. He alone is worthy. And it's not about the... the the, the preacher or the worship leader or, or other that try to maybe vow for credit or attention. It's about him being worshipped in a way that we understand and, and, and think and focus on him. And so we worship with our minds by thinking great thoughts about God. Secondly, we worship God with our heart and our soul. Let's talk about our emotions for just a minute. Our heart and our soul, the seat of our emotions, these two being two that really comprise who we are. And John Piper put it like this, and I thought it was a great quote. There is no true worship of God where feelings are not quickened. When feelings are dead, so is worship. Now, wait a minute. I want you to, just for a moment, I want to identify what those feelings are. What are some things we can feel when we come to church? What are some things we can feel when we worship? Number one, grief over sin. Nothing wrong with feeling a little grief over our sin. Anybody sin this week? Anybody fall short? Anybody speak unkind to someone or make a mistake or have to apologize? I mean, honestly, I've been there this week. Grief over my sin. Here's a couple of ways that David expressed it in Psalm 51. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He went on to say in verse 17, 
The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart, oh God. You will not despise. When we come to church with that kind of an attitude, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know I, I've, I've fallen short. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness and for your love for me in spite of my mistakes. This is a great feeling to have. It's important to come with that kind of an emotion. Grief over sin. Secondly, what about fear? Not fear of man, but a, an awe of God. That word fear, a reverence, a respect for God. Psalm 33, verse 8 puts it best when it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. It's a good feeling to have. Do you ever feel that when you're worshiping? Just the, you know, it's, it's like no one else is in the building. By the way, if I could just take it a step further, you should be able to come to this building anytime throughout the week by yourself and feel the presence of God. Just sit in this auditorium and be, because of how God has moved here and how we, we, we know the presence of God is here, wouldn't it be great just to come sometime during the week by yourself and just use this as a worship center for you and you to worship God alone? Because God and God alone is the one we're worshiping. So fear him, stand in awe of him. And then thirdly, what about longing after God? Just longing. Just, I, you know, I, honestly, and I say this, I, I, I can't wait to get to church on Sunday. I mean, I love our services. I, I have no problem. I, I'm preaching at a church in December where the guy asked me to preach five times because uh, they have five services. And I said, I'm good. I'm good, man. I, I, I love it. I, I said, I'm sure I'll be a little more tired than normal after five services, but I, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I, I seem to gain energy the longer it goes because, man, it, I just get more excited, you know? And I say that I know with Erica Pacey energy, I get it, okay? But at the end of the day, honestly, I, I really do mean it. I long to be here. I long to worship God. I love what God is doing in our church. Psalm 84, verse 2 speaks of this. My soul longs, just faints for the courts of the Lord. And I know we're speaking of congregational worship here. So I speak of it as coming to this worship center and worshiping with my heart and my flesh, it sings to the joy of the living God. God is not dead, he's alive. And I long to praise him. I love Psalm 42, verse 1, that talks about having a deeper relationship with God. As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. And then thankfulness. Psalm 95, verse 2 says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. Question, do you ever feel those things here in the worship service? See, we're talking about feeling, but it's not just this feeling that makes you move. It's a feeling of, of, of spiritual worth and nature. Let me give you two things to help you in worship. And I'm just giving you these because this helped me. I remember... I used to, when I went to Brooklyn Tabernacle, let me tell you something. I was like this, shoulders up, stiff as a board. It took about 45 minutes to break me down. It did. I thought, this is something I'm not used to. You know what I needed to do? I needed to drop my guard a little bit. Just drop your guard. That's a note, actually, Nathan. Drop your guard. Just ease up. It's okay. We all know you're a sinner. (laughs) You know what? You know how much of a better pastor I've become because I just started deciding I'm going to start this new thing where actually pastors tell the truth. How do you like it so far? You like it? It's working for me. 
I mean, when you just get up and you don't feel like you have to be this perfect guy and have this perfect family and, you know, you have to wear perfect stuff and always look good and talk with a deep voice and, oh, God, and pray like you're praying to some statue. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the When I left that behind, when I just dropped my guard and said, I'm, I'm just old Eric Capace, you know. You don't have to call me anything other than brother Eric, preacher, just, just call me to dinner and I'll show up. Amen. I, I, I don't, I'm nobody special. I'm just a sinner saved by grace like the rest of us. And I'm having the time of my life worshiping with you guys now that I've dropped my guard. I'm not so protective. Number two, participate. I just decided to make a conscious decision to participate. I'm not just going to observe anymore. I'm going to enter in. And then number four, the fourth part of worship, the four-part harmony is strength. You know, physical things that help us in worship. For instance, in the service, we have actually clapped. And sometimes, actually, during a song set, we will clap. If, look, if we can clap for veterans and, and, and clap after a worship set, if the worship team sings a peppy song and they start clapping, it's, it's okay to put your hands together. You say, well, I'm just not good at rhythm. We'll work on that later. We'll help you. But it's okay to put your hands together. The Bible tells us we can clap our hands in the temple. And then raise your hands. I learned that through... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, many other passages. I desire then that in every place, not just the church, in your car, in your house, in every place, that men should pray lifting holy hands. It's okay to lift your hands, just as if you would lift your hands to say, out of excitement, say, look, look at that, look, 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 don't miss it. You point at something, lift your hands. We're pointing to the one whom we all are worshiping. We're raising our hands, ascribing him the worth he deserves. And then shout to God with the voice of triumph. Shout to God. I, I love singing. One thing I really do enjoy about singing with the worship band is nobody can hear me. <laughs> I'm singing so loud. Oh, this morning I sat next to Tiffany. Man, she sounded good. Caroline, you, you've got that beautiful, deep alto voice. It was beautiful. Uh, I hope I didn't wear you out this morning. I'm, I'm just shouting. It's like singing with Scott Mercer at the retirement home. Dude, we're singing these hymns. It's always singing at the retirement home. That's what they like, and we like it too. And so we're singing this hymn, and Scott is just, remember this time you were just blowing it out? I mean, he was, I was, Christy, you know what I'm talking about? It's crazy, isn't it? It's like so loud. I mean, you know, count your blessings, name them one by, and I'm like, whoa. So finally, I look at Scott. This is a true story. I look at him and I say, Scott, settle down. Literally, in the, in the retirement center service. And, and Scott looks at me and goes, <laughs> I mean, just rebellious, you know. We, we dropped his support over it. And uh, no, he just looked at me and he nods and it taught me something. He said, no way, preacher. I'm making a joyful noise. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm shouting. And he kept on singing and I realized, you know, that's, God, God's not listening to whether or not we're on tune. God, God's not interested in whether or not we are some sort of soloist worthy of singing a solo. In God just wants to hear us shout to him. What we are singing, praise it. He loves, he inhabits himself in the praises of his people. And then praise God with your feet. We actually introduced a few years ago this, I think, I don't know if Derry's here. Is Derry here? There she is. She had her group of girls and they, for the first time in this Baptist church, we had people worshiping in the dance. And I remember thinking, this is either going to split our church wide open (laughs) and and I'm going non-denom or we're going to survive this thing. And you know what? You guys were so gracious, and it was amazing. They loved it, and we loved it. And sometimes we, 
we tend to, like this morning, I tend to, I just, sometimes I, I don't, I'm not doing a whole lot up here. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself, but man, I just, my feet are not just. <laughs> Next song, Jordan, first, second, and the third. I mean, I'm just ready. I, I just, sometimes my feet move and I don't know that I know how to dance. I've never tried it. We've never done it. I'm sure I'd look really weird. But I don't think God's talking about that kind of dance. I think he's just talking about using your feet physically to worship him with your strength. Let's put John 4, 24 on the screen. Jordan, finish this off. Awesome. This beautiful picture of our expressing our emotion and expressing the spirit to God. So what happens? But but what about the times when we don't feel the presence of God? Um, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. But just to give you comfort, I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. How many of us have been through seasons where we don't feel God's presence? I've been there. If we're honest, we've all probably been there where we just haven't felt it. So take comfort that everyone goes through those times. But also remember that just because you don't feel the presence of God doesn't mean he's not moving. See, there's a danger when we have this truly beautiful emotional encounter with God and we can compare every other encounter we have to that one really emotional time and if it doesn't measure up man God just didn't move like he did man God, God's just not moving I just don't I just don't feel him God moves in so many different ways sometimes he might choose to move in an extremely emotional way sometimes he might tr- choose to move in more of an intellectual and a quiet and peaceful way so just because you don't feel it doesn't mean God is not moving So the whole purpose of worship, the whole reason that everything we do is that God is glorified. To worship literally means to ascribe worth or to give glory to God, to give him the praise that he rightfully deserves. So at the end of the day, at the end of the service, once everything is said and done and we all leave, the only thing that matters is that God is glorified. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, man, did we hit every chord? Did, you know, were we on beat the whole time? Was did, did I really feel it? Did I sing as loud as I could? Did I, did I lift my hands as high as I could? Did I, did I do everything right? No, what matters is that God is worshipped. Did we worship in spirit and in truth? Did we dwell upon the truth of Scripture? And did we respond in worship? That's what matters. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that God is glorified. See, this is the problem. A lot, and a lot of times, this is the reason that we're not feeling the presence of God. This is why we're not feeling worship is a lot of times we make worship about us. We make it about how we feel or the style of songs that we like. Man, if God does, if we, if we don't sing, if we don't sing What a Beautiful Name in the next three weeks, I'm going to lose my mind and I just know God's presence isn't going to be here. No, when we make worship about ourselves, about how, only about how we feel, then of course we're going to get frustrated when we don't get that feeling. So what do we do when we don't, when we are going through a season where we don't feel the presence of God? First of all, stop trying to perform your way into his presence. Stop trying to earn the right to stand before him and remember that the only way you can stand before God is through the blood of Jesus. And stop working. Stop trying to make yourself feel that feeling. It's just not going to work and it's just going to leave you frustrated and upset and annoyed. So what do you do? You remind yourself of who God is. The reason God tells us to worship in spirit and in truth is so when we don't have the spirit, we can look back to the truth and we can remember what Jesus has done and dwell and meditate and allow our minds to think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that he died for our sins and let the truth of the gospel spur our emotions and allow us to worship. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. What I want us to do is, while the worship team comes up, thank you, Jordan. Great job. Another way you can tell two different generations is me and <laughs> the big huge. I love it. Isn't it great, though, when two generations can come together and just say, we, we, we can become a multi-generational church. And we should stay that way. And I'm grateful today this church doesn't look old and it doesn't look young. It just looks like a church with all people. I want us to do this. Let's quote that verse together. Can we do that just out loud together? John 4, 24, here we go. Begin. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. One more time. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's all stand, shall we?